Again, the, the fact that the command assumes that that's difficult. That's hard. It's not our natural impulse. It assumes, I think, that you'll be tempted to um, give up on prayer or not value it as you should or not have that kind of joy, but it's God's will for you in Christ. Not only in the sense, again, of command, but that it's His gracious gift to you in your union with Christ. So I want to encourage you to think about it that way this morning. Because you're united by saving faith to Jesus, God has provided for you constant joy uh, and communion with Himself and gratitude. So let's look at each of these uh, in turn briefly. First, uh, the command to rejoice always. The reaction to that might be, how is that even possible? Like, how can we always, uh, seeing the, the horrors of evil that we do in this world and um, the grief of, of death or disease or just our sin, our selfishness, our pride, um, in the midst of broken relationships or crushed expectations, how can we rejoice always? We need to understand what, what Christian, what biblical joy is. What, what that what that means? Uh, it's it's basically synonymous with with inner peace, with contentment. The concept of contentment, a settled contentment, um, always in any circumstance, having that that kind of a satisfied soul or content heart. I think it's helpful to consider what, what biblical joy is not. Uh, what Paul is not commanding here. Uh, biblical joy is not the absence of sadness or grief or mourning. Just back in chapter 4, Paul famously writing to the, the Thessalonians who had lost some loved ones recently, evidently, uh, encouraged them to uh, not grieve as those without hope. Right? He assumes that they grieve. And yet not without hope, not without the, the very close to the idea of, of Christian Many times, you as believers show your redeemed nature by grieving. It would be wrong not to grieve. So this does not preclude, uh, it's not at odds with sadness, uh, constant joy in a sense. Uh, Christian joy is not uh, mere happiness, we could say as well. We could use that word in, in the sense of a sort of external feeling. Right, an emotional high, a good feeling. Now that, that's a great thing. Happiness in that sense is a good thing. Christian joy often and, and ought to lead to happiness. And if you never experience happiness, you probably don't have Christian joy. But happiness is surface level. It's, it's generally circumstantial, using that sense. Uh, many of us would, would um, we, we would all complete the sentence, happiness is in various different ways, different things that we enjoy and uh, give us a smile. Uh, Charles Schultz, the, the famous cartoonist, famously completed that happiness is a warm puppy. A uh, sentimental thing that you like that makes you happy. Uh, and it, again, it's wonderful, but it's external. It, it's something that happens to you to a large degree. Happiness also, you can say, uh, can be a counterfeit joy. Happiness can be a counterfeit to Christian joy. Um, you might think that you have Christian peace and contentment, but if, if all you have is happiness, it, it can come crashing down in the moment. Right? Christian joy, though, can be permanent. Its, it's foundation is God Himself. 
counterfeit joy or happiness in that sense uh, is, uh, can be supported by counterfeit gods, things that are not permanent. Uh, Tim Keller's written a book by that, by that title, Counterfeit Gods, in which he uh, catalogs different things that our happiness might be built on uh, that are not a strong foundation. Here are some of the things that he uh, suggests uh, political or economic idols like ideologies of the right or the left that absolutize some aspect of political order and make that, that that's what leads to happiness. That's the solution, right? He lists uh, sexual idols or relational idols, ideals we hold out for relationships or, or marriage or your family looking the way you want or living your life through your children. Uh, he lists, lists uh, cultural idols, uh, mentioned radical individualism here in the West. The individualist is raised over against the, the family or, or the community or uh, in some places in the East it's kind of the opposite where the, um, the, the family or the clan can be elevated to the expense of the individual rights. So either way, things that happiness rests on. Then he suggests what he calls deep idols or motivational idols. Like power ideology. If I, if I have control or influence in this area over the, or over these people, then, then I'll be happy. Uh, or comfort ideology. I'm happy if I'll have this personal pleasure or, or comfort or approval ideology. If I only have the approval of, of these people, then I'm happy. Well, Christian joy is not happiness in that sense. It, it doesn't rest on things like these. So we, we come back to what it is. Christian joy is, is a peace, a satisfaction, of a contentment in Christ Jesus. The, the foundation is not uh, what you see or what you feel or what is happening to you. Uh, again, it doesn't preclude sadness or grief over those things. But its foundation is what's true of you because you're united to Christ. You're loved, you're forgiven, you're an heir of the kingdom of God. Citizen of heaven who have the promises of God. So, the, the answer to this first may be seemingly impossible always and without ceasing and in everything is that you are always without ceasing and in everything in Christ. Have his, his promises and his care and his grace. Paul's clear that joy is not just some abstract ideal that we're to work on, it's something that you have already in Christ. Philippians 4 is maybe the more famous, more well-known place where Paul gives a command like this. He says, rejoice always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. In fact, I left the phrase out there. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And only in the Lord. He's not saying just conjure up some happiness. He's saying rejoice in the Lord, what you have in the Lord. Um, and he goes on in Philippians 4, I'll read in just a moment, that, that great statement of, of his contentment uh, in all things. Uh, I suggest the sort of Old Testament version of that um, is in Habakkuk chapter 3. The, the book of Habakkuk ends with these words. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. All these terrible circumstances, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. 
I mentioned, Paul's statement in Philippians 4, he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am uh, to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So, of course, the secret is, is Christ who strengthens. I was reading uh, a while back a book, uh, a testimony by a Ugandan pastor who uh, lived through and pastored a large church through the rule of Idi Amin, the, the genocidal dictator of 1970, uh, uh, who committed genocide against his political rivals, against some minority tribes, against Christians, uh, particularly as well. Um, and so his soldiers for eight years in the 70s went into thousands of homes uh, of these people, sometimes killed all of them, sometimes just brutally killed the, the father or the husband and friends and family, and took everything they had and just left. Um, we wonder how there could be any gratitude or joy or peace uh, in those communities or those homes. I, I can't even mentally imagine what that would be like. Uh, the book describes a few soldiers who came to this pastor's worship service one week. Uh, they weren't there to worship, they were there undercover just to sort of see what was going on with these Christians. Um, and they saw, these three soldiers saw numerous women that they had widowed, uh, children that they had orphaned uh, at this worship service. And they expected, of course, to see them um, broken and, and crushed under uh, any means brutality uh, worked through them. But rather what shocked them was to see these women clapping and praising uh, God with, with joy. Maybe not happiness, but with a, a genuine joy. And the main response of these soldiers, as told by one who later came to faith in Christ, one who had killed 200 uh, people for Idiomene himself, their main response was fear. As in, what kind of power could give people with that that kind of suffering that they had worked so hard to crush? What kind of power could give them joy? And here they were with all the all the worldly power in the world. And these they were humbled by by the power of God, seen through the joy of these worshiping widows. And in Christ, we have that joy. Secondly. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Again, we need to think a little bit about what that, what that means, what it does not mean. Paul can't mean that we're to literally every moment be consciously in, in prayer. That's not possible um, uh, psychologically or practically. I, I think a couple of things um, are, are part of what, what Paul means here. Uh, for one, it's very similar to what Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 18. We're told he, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That's the parable of the persistent widow. Right? She wasn't, the point there was not that she was praying every moment of every day, but she, she kept coming back in prayer. She didn't, she didn't give up on uh, not prayer there in the parable, but her, her pleading to the judge. Right? And, and parallel to our continually coming to God. Uh, never believing that it's not worth it, sir. Certainly, um, this, this command here has something to do, something to say uh, about the frequency of our prayer as well. Though. Uh, even if we're not able, if we're not to be on our knees and quiet and consciously praying all the time, 
We can be praying little prayers throughout the day as, as things come up or come to mind. We can be uh, prayerful in our thoughts. What moves us to that kind of prayer? What's, what's the basis of, of that praying without ceasing? You know, Paul's previous command to have joy always, this idea of Christian contentment, um, really would, would have been rather unique among the pagan religions of his day. Uh, prayer was, was not unique at all to Christianity. Right? Prayer, in, in a broad sense, was common to all the religions of the world. Um, but the way that prayer functioned was different. Prayer, the, the other religions around, functioned largely as a way of impressing the gods and, and convincing the gods to favor you. <coughs> but the foundation of Christian prayer is, is that it begins on what you already have. And it's on the basis of what you already have. You already have God's faith. It's on the basis of understanding God as your unconditional loving Father already. Now I want you to note also, um, before we look at the final command, that, that Paul several times joins prayer with these two things, with, with joy and gratitude. Uh, or one or the other. Colossians 4, for example, Continue steadfastly in prayer, he says, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer and thanksgiving. Romans 12, verse 12, rejoice in hope. At the end of that verse, be constant in prayer. And I think Paul keeps joining these things together probably because there are so many circumstances that war against our joy, that, that threaten to steal away our, our gratitude. It's, it's a struggle. And so it's our privilege to pray for joy and hope and, and gratitude. It reminds me of, of Jesus pleading with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. To say, he said to stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. And to stand before the Son of Man. To, to stand in the, in the faith, in the joy. In the gratitude that you have. We have that same need to pray against those things that steal our goodness. Early then, Paul says, in everything, give thanks. Again, it seems like a very simple idea, but let's, let's think carefully about what it means to give thanks. Um, we talked in our, our Sunday school, our adult Sunday school, several weeks ago about some of the words that are commonly used in our, our culture that have deep biblical meaning but that no longer do, uh, like the word faith. Uh, faith just being a sort of general feeling now without an object. Uh, thanks or thanksgiving is, is a very similar thing. A biblical thanks always has an object. A biblical thanks has an object. It's, it's always directed towards God. It's, Assume it's not explicitly, explicitly stated. Let's assume this week we'll celebrate uh, Thanksgiving in, in just a few days. And we're reminded yearly, I'm reminded yearly of the ridiculousness, the logical contradiction of a day of Thanksgiving in a secular society. Uh, of, of people without God. And yet many people continue, even increasingly, to insist on a meaningful Thanksgiving. Um, uh, secular Thanksgiving. Uh, several years ago, the, the Washington Post ran an article under the title Grateful Without God, a Secular Thanksgiving. And the author interviews many people promoting the holiday as a, as a secular ritual. 
um, still trying to hang on to some significant meaning and, and purpose for it. Uh, the author quotes, uh, one person citing Thanksgiving as an opportunity to acknowledge how lucky we are in the grand scheme of the universe. Um, it lists many places that you can direct your thanks to this Thanksgiving, to other people, to luck, um, anything uh, but God, uh, sovereign God, just the universe and so on. Um, and the article notes the popular rhymes of saying secular grace uh, before a meal uh, as well, a uh, practice to which there are whole websites and whole movements dedicated. Uh, the same secular grace. And, and the article concludes then with some examples of secular grace that you can say at, at Thanksgiving. And there's a link to a website uh, titled Thanksgiving Non-Prayers for Humanists. Well, the, the Bible would assure us, again, that, that gratitude is a nonsensical concept without God in the universe by chance. Right? How could one be thankful for a meaningless life without any design or purpose, a life that could end any moment in, in ultimate meaninglessness. By contrast, the Christian, Paul says, in everything is grateful to God. And, and by way of qualification here, we need to be clear that the Bible does not enjoin us to give thanks for everything. We're not thankful for everything in, in the most direct sense. There are many evil things and things of suffering, we're not, it's not saying that we have to call those things in and of themselves good. Even so, it can seem again like an impossibility, an unreasonable thing, perhaps. Christians might wonder, can I have a break from that thankfulness and that joy sometimes? Um, Christians who uh, are facing So the Bible repeatedly, strikingly, uh, 
seemingly sort of paradoxically connects suffering with not happiness, but joy. Joy with suffering. Uh, James begins his letter, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, steadfastness, maturity. Uh, Romans chapter 5, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. First Peter 1 is another example of this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Fourthly and finally, I, I just want to consider what I'm calling our indirect path to these things. And we summarize joy and thanks summarized in the idea of contentment. This one, I do that by going back to the end of verse 18. Where Paul says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Uh, Richard Phillips comments on these, these words uh, saying, Knowing that these blessings, joy and thanks, are knowing that these blessings are found in Christ Jesus, warns us against directly seeking after joy, prayerfulness, and thanksgiving. Knowing that these are found in Christ Jesus warns us against directly seeking joy, prayerfulness, and thanksgiving. What do I mean by that? A while back, um, driving home to school back in Florida, the direct route that we took every day uh, was blocked. So we had to take a different route uh, to school. Took the quickest way we could, but it was not the most direct route. It was, it was indirect. And, it, and yet it was the only way uh, to get there to his school. I want you to recognize the same thing about really any point of our sanctification, but thinking particularly this morning of joy and thankfulness. If you want to grow in joy and thankfulness, don't look to those things. Don't go directly to those things and just try to drum them up. Try to work hard at them. Right? Know Christ better. That, that's the indirect route to true joy and thankfulness. Know better who you are in Him. Joy doesn't come by just trying to be happy, trying to smile more, trying to change your feelings, but by knowing Jesus and His promises and, and the joy that He has given to you. More or better prayer doesn't come from a, just you know having a, a more rigorous prayer schedule, which may be a very good thing to do. But first, it comes by trusting that God is there, that He cares, that He hears your prayers, He's given you this gracious gift of prayer. Uh, thankfulness doesn't grow from just trying to be more thankful or writing lots of things on sticky notes and putting them around your house. That might be a great thing to do as reminders. But thankfulness in your heart comes from Meditating on God and who He is, what He's given to you, who you are in Him. We're going to sing in just a moment from Psalm 16, where the psalmist says, I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. I'm glad and I rejoice because the Lord is in front of me, beside me. 
the prayerful joy and thanks come to you indirectly, only as we, we direct faith and, and trust to our Heavenly Father. We need to really know and trust that He's good, that He loves you, that He does what's best for you. Uh, one commentator's summary of these, these three commands of Paul here is uh, living consciously of the Father's love. This is sort of the uh, summary of the result of living consciously of the Father's love. And, and Jesus is our example of that kind of faith and trust. We've been, been studying the last couple of chapters of, of Hebrews in our men's study on Saturday mornings. And that's where Hebrews 12 points us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The cross was not his joy, but for the joy that was set before him, despising the shame, the conclusion there is, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And we might include implied there that you would maintain your joy and Thankfulness in that sense. Facing the greatest evil and suffering imaginable, Jesus trusted the Father, he gave thanks and prayer, and he saw joy. You can trust that Savior who suffers with you and for you, who identifies with you, even if you can't understand all that he allows, and not thankful for or rejoicing uh, in the things that you're experiencing in and of themselves. You can trust the Father who gave his only son for So your confidence, I'll just use some other words to close here, your confidence with joy and thanks is that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is yours. Always, without ceasing, in every Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your commands here, and, and the gift that joy and thanks and prayer are to us. We pray that by your spirit you would help us to live in these things. Uh, you know what a, a struggle they are, what a struggle it's I mean, for me, even this week, we pray that you would give us uh, these things by your grace. Help us to encourage each other. Pray this in Christ's name.